Okay, sorry about that. We're off to a good start here. Yay! We're going to look at a section of Scripture today out of Luke chapter 14. It's the book of the Bible that we're making our way through. And if you brought tithes and offerings, the usher's going to pass the basket right now. Thank you so much for giving this church. It keeps us afloat. It keeps us running. All right? If you're a visitor here, please do not feel compelled to give. We're into um, doing this as a family, so don't feel compelled to give it all. Save it for your regular place of attendance. All right? Luke chapter 14 starts off with Jesus going to the house of a Pharisee. He was a prominent religious leader at the time, very well-known person, and a bunch of his friends would have gathered at the house too. And it says that Jesus was being closely watched by these people. They really wanted to know what this Jesus fellow was all about. And the first thing that Jesus does when he gets to the house is he healed a dude on the Sabbath. As I told you last week, in order for him to heal somebody on the Sabbath, he would, have had to broke, he would have had to break a very significant cultural and religious rule because you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath as a good Jew like Jesus was, and that included even helping somebody. But Jesus wanted them to know that love is way more important than any rule, so he heals the guy anyway. And I am so glad he was like that. To me, it kind of reminds me of um, an ambulance ride. I've only been on one ambulance ride, and hold on a second. Can you turn the fan off on that? Thank you so much. I've only been on one ambulance ride in my life, and i got to tell you, totally overrated. You don't want to be in an ambulance. But if you ever find yourself in an ambulance, you do not want your driver to obey all the speed laws and traffic laws. You don't want them to do that. You want your driver to scream down the road, running every stop sign and stoplight, and race to the hospital like a NASCAR driver amped up on Red Bull. And that's what my driver did. And I was thankful for that, okay? That's what Jesus was doing. He was breaking all the rules in order to help somebody. And after breaking the rules, after healing this guy on the Sabbath, he then tells them a parable. And the parable is called the parable of the great banquet, but I refer to it as the party parable. And we're going to read it today. It's just a few verses long. Let's read this. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. Back at that time, you invited people twice. You had an original invitation, and then there was no RSVPing. The second invitation was basically to tell them, Oh yeah, you're coming. It's ready. Okay? But they all began to make excuses, which would have been unheard of in that culture. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. All right? Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And the last excuse, I just got married, so I can't come. I'll talk about those later. All right? The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, because this was an insult to him. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's still places left at the party. The master told a servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Okay? This is an interesting section of scripture. I absolutely love this part of the Bible. This parable actually would have further ruffled the feathers of these Pharisees because this parable is actually challenging their beliefs and challenging their way of thinking about God. Jesus loves to mess with people. 
which is why in a famous sermon of his, he says this line over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say. In other words, oh, you used to believe this? Oh, that's so cute. But now you're going to believe this. He is always messing with the status quo in all of our lives. He is always stretching our faith and our beliefs all the time. He just won't leave us alone like that. And it's so great. So what did the Pharisees and what can we learn from this wonderful parable? Some super cool stuff. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. God likes a good party. Most people don't think of God in terms of someone who likes a good party. Joel had this painting. I don't know why. He had it in the other room. He used it for something in a sermon or something. And I didn't know about it, and I came across it. I walked backstage and came across it and was like, whoa, what's that? It's a painting of Jesus. It's a big one. It's kind of velvety. Look at that. Now, I ask you, because when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's not Jesus. Okay. Uh, If you can see that, and you can look at it later if you can't see it. Does that look like a guy that knows how to have a good time? No. That looks like a guy that watches entirely too many documentaries on Netflix, doesn't it? I mean... That doesn't look like a fun person at all. Notice in verse 16 that a man prepared a party. This host prepared this banquet, and he invited many guests for no apparent reason. There was no special occasion. There was no holiday. It wasn't his birthday. He just woke up and said, let's have a party. I love that. We need more parties for no apparent reason at all, especially in January and February in Eugene, when there's nothing to look forward to except the intense pressure of, valentine's day and that's a whole nother story okay but a party just because the world needs more parties in 1974 there was a frenchman named philippe petit and many of you know who that is if you've watched man on wire he's a tightrope walk walker and when the world trade centers were still standing he went up to the top with a team and he strung a, a wire a cable between the two buildings which is quite a feat in and of itself and then one day he got out there early in the morning and started walking across it which is completely illegal. And he's thousands of feet above the surface of New York City. And he's walking back and forth, but he wasn't just walking on the tightrope. A police officer that later arrested him said, oh man, he was having a great time. He was laughing and giggling and smiling. He made eight separate passes across the wire. And it wasn't like he was walking on the wire. It was more like he was dancing on the wire. And when he was finally captured after coming back you know, to one of the buildings, the Americans at the time, remember he's French, they interviewed him and they said, Philippe, why? You knew you'd be arrested. Why did you do this? And he goes, you Americans, you're always so practical. You always have to know why. I just did it. There was no why. That's what he said. It was such a powerful part of the documentary. In this parable, a guy threw a party just because there was no why. I knew a couple that... um, just threw a party for their block, their neighborhood, and some of their friends. And I'll put it up. They titled it this. <laughs> I want to put up this. An epic celebration of all that is good. That's what they called it. There was no reason for the party. They just wanted to have a party. We need more of those, especially in February. I'm on it. I actually think our church needs to do an epic celebration of all that is good in February, just because February, ugh, okay? I think Jesus was informing the Pharisees here of what God was like. He was saying, hey, do you want to know what God is like? God is into joy and celebration. He's like a host that throws a party for no apparent reason. We need to know that too. We need to know that God is like that. 
Because I've told you over and over again, God is with us in our suffering. He truly is. I'm going to tell you that till I'm blue in the face. God is a presence till the darkness passes. God is closer to you than you think when you're suffering. It seems like he's far away, but actually he hears your cry and is drawing even closer to you. But God is also present in our joy and celebration. That's why parties can be sacred experiences and holy moments. And our laughter can be like carbonated holiness. And parties are way more important than we think we are. they are because despair wants to creep into every one of our lives on a daily basis. Despair is insidious like that. And when we party, when we celebrate, it stops despair in its tracks. We laugh a lot here on Sundays and on Thursdays when we meet together and at all of our events. Come to Slice of Life. You'll see it. We laugh all the time. And that is a very, very good thing. Because hopefully some of you are going to invite your friends or family members or neighbors to come to our gatherings or come to our church meetings here. And oftentimes when you invite somebody to go to church, their typical response is, oh, no thanks, I think I'll just stick my hand in a wood chipper instead because I'd rather do that than go into a room with people with, with sullen attitudes and constipated faces and looking at or listening to some gas bag preacher go on and on about a, what a horrible person I am. No thank you, okay? Yeah, that is not what it's like here because we believe in a God who is also... In, who's not just with us when we hurt, but is also with us when we laugh. He's with us in the tears. He's with us in the joy. Second thing I want to point out about this parable, our job is to invite. Notice that the host sent his employees out and said, you go invite people. You compel them to come. You get this party filled up. That is our job. Our job is to invite people to the party, to invite them to experience God like we have. Now in verse 23, notice that the word make is used in some of your translations of the Bible, but it's actually the, the Greek word anakatso, which means to compel or to urge. That's what we get to do. We don't go out and just say, hey, would you like to experience God? That is, if you've got nothing better to do, and if it's not too difficult for you, could you come to the party and have a relationship with God? No. We go out with far more unction and far more zeal than that. That's what we get to do. I don't know if you've ever had something so good happen in your life that you just couldn't keep it to yourself anymore. That's happened to me on several occasions. I'll give you some examples. Across the street, there's a, there's a garden store over there. But you'll notice in the back of the garden store, there's this mini vintage Airstream trailer. It's called the Owl and the Lion. It's a little restaurant, and they do mostly brunches. My son said, I want to go to my college graduation brunch there. And I went, oh, no. You want to go to a trailer? You don't want to go to a real restaurant? Because I love food. And I'm going, it's a trailer. We went over there. It's unbelievable. I couldn't quit talking about it to people. It's like five-star French fusion cuisine. It's totally gourmet. They are unbelievable. You have to get reservations weeks in advance many times because there's only like five seats inside the trailer and ten outside. Go try it. I dare you, okay? I just told everybody about it after I went. Or how about this? I had a friend just get back from Jackson Hole, and they didn't go on the Alpine slides. If you ever go to Jackson Hole, the first time I went on the Alpine slides, I said, this is the coolest thing ever, because you ride up a ski lift, and then there's these fiberglass tracks that you ride these sleds on, and you can put wheels down to go even faster. You can actually fly right off the track, which makes it, you know, that element of danger makes everything better, right? It is so fun. They tell you not to race, but you're side by side. 
okay, whatever, you're not beating me down, Zoom, okay? It's just so great, I couldn't keep it a secret. I got on a website this week, and it was called this, The Surprising Awesomeness of Taco Donuts. It was a guy that had made donuts, split it in half, and made a taco out of it, and he said, it's just awesome, I have to tell everybody about it. Sometimes you just can't keep things a secret. We don't have to invite people to the party. We get to, and in a way we can't help ourselves because the life of Jesus is percolating inside of us and it just has to bubble out sometimes. Look what the Apostle Paul, this great early leader of the church, says in 1 Corinthians. Well, when I preach the gospel, in other words, when I invite people to the party, I can't boast since I am compelled to preach. There's that word, anakazo again. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He's saying, the good news is so compelling, I have to tell people about Jesus. I have to invite them to the party. It's just too good to miss. That's what we got to do. we got to tell people, you've just got to experience Jesus. The, oh, it's just too good. The experience is too good to miss. And by the way, if you go and invite people to the party, if you're talking to them about Jesus, please get off to a good start. Have you ever noticed that some things just get off to bad starts and then they get worse and worse? It's like a movie. If you go into a movie, trust me, I'm a movie buff. If you go into a movie and it starts off with a scene that has a bunch of helicopters, just get up and walk out, okay? I don't know why, but there's a direct correlation between the number of helicopters in the movie and the suckiness factor of that movie. The more movie, I mean the more helicopters there are, the more suckiness there is to the movie. So just save yourself the pain, stand up and walk out of the building and get your money back. Or how about football? Football to this. You, you're watching a game and you got your plate of nachos there and your team, the Beavers, have the ball first and the first play they do of the game, they throw an interception and the other team runs it back for a touchdown. You haven't even swallowed your first nacho and your team is already losing. Some things get off to a bad start, okay? The worst possible start you can get off to when inviting a person to experience Jesus is to walk up to them and say, you know, you're a sinner. Really? What a dumb moment that is. Everybody knows what's wrong in their life. You do not have to do that. A much better way, a much better way to start the conversation is this. I am just so into Jesus. If you ever want to hear about him, wow. Start like that, okay? You can deal with the sin stuff later, all right? Now, let's move on. The third thing about this, no excuses and no exceptions. Let's start with excuses. In this parable, some people didn't show up at the party, and they offered some excuses, and they were incredibly lame excuses when you take time to examine them. The first person said, I just bought a field, and I have to go look king of kings, the prince of peace, or go stare at grass. That was his decision, and he chose, I have to go look at my field. That is a horrible excuse. The second guy goes, I just bought some oxen, and I have to try them out. You're not test driving a Ferrari at this point, okay? They're beasts of burden. They're oxen. You hook the plow up to them, and you go straight. That's all you do. And the oxen don't need any practice. They know how to do it. Just giddy up, okay, or whatever you say to an oxen, all right? And they go straight up to a marriage that is. So I'm married, so I can no longer go to anything that's fun in my life or any social engagements. 
are you kidding me? You're not going to be having sex 24 hours a day. You still have to live your life. That is a horrible excuse. People nowadays will similarly offer lame excuses to you when you invite them to experience God. They'll say, oh, I'll deal with God later. I've got my work. I've got my family. I've got my stuff. I've got my career. And it's all just lame excuses. But we've got to realize something here. We desperately want people to experience God like we have. And that's a great desire, okay? But here's the deal. We can't force them to accept the invitation. When believers have tried this, it's led to preachers preaching guilt-saturated sermons and whole nations going on crusades. Not our best moment. It's kind of evangelism by terrorism. We've got to do something better than that. I want to put up a quote, and I love how this author, this is a book I read years ago, and I just loved what he said. The most powerful things happen when the church surrenders its desires to convert people and to convince them to join. It's when the church gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return, that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. I could not agree more. If we only love people in order to get them to the party, it means that our love comes with a catch, with an agenda, which means it's not really love at all. It's control or manipulation. We've got to surrender our agenda. We've got to do that. We must love people whether they come to the party or not, because their response to our invitation is between them and God. And trust me, God will keep working on them. He can be very convincing like that. So love people, even if they reject your invitation to the party, to the great banquet, with some lame excuse. Okay? Now let's move on to exceptions. Notice at first, this banquet host only invited the A-listers, the people he felt comfortable around, but eventually he invited everybody, even the poor, the, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, okay? Everybody had a seat at the table because that's when the party gets good. Let me say a few things about no exceptions. The first has to do with the word inclusion. I think this parable captures the heart of God as much as any story in the entire Bible, okay? Because God is into inclusion. Think of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world doesn't say, for God so loved these people, but not those people, okay? He loved the world. First Timothy says that God so desires all mankind to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All mankind, not some of mankind, all of mankind. And Philippians says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Every knee, not some knees, every knee. God is not about exclusion. He's into radical inclusion. That's why things like racism and sexism and nationalism and any other awful isms absolutely horrify him. This truth has, has really shaped the way that we do church here. We believe that everybody should be welcome. Old, young, white, not white, super white, okay? Girl, boy, gay, straight, transgender, rich, poor, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everybody's welcome with zero exceptions. Absolutely none. You can invite anybody here, and they're welcome. And by welcome, I mean everybody has a gift, has multiple gifts resident in them that God has deposited in their life. And we function better as a church when everybody is involved and displaying those gifts. So you're not just welcome here. You're wanted here. You're needed here. And there are no exceptions to that. I don't know if you've ever heard this sentence, and it's filled in in different ways. It's not a party till, 
and people fill in the blank in different ways. Like, it's not a party till the pizza guy gets there. Or it's not a party till someone gets tasered. That probably wouldn't be that great of a party. But it's not a party till someone gets tasered. Or it's not a party till the dancing starts. Things like that. According to this parable, it's not a party till everybody is welcomed in. That's when the party really starts. This parable was actually radical because at the time of Jesus, the lame, the poor, the crippled, and the blind were considered defective. And as defective, they weren't allowed in many of the corporate worship sessions. They wouldn't have been allowed in this church at the time. And then Jesus comes up to the religious leaders that were executing these rules and said, that is a jacked up way to think, and that's not how I roll. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's defective. So, to be a part of this church, you better get ready. You better get ready to be in a relationship with people that are different than you, that disagree with you, that make you uncomfortable. It's all good. That's exactly how God wants it. Another thing about no exceptions, the word hope. This parable gives me hope, and let me tell you why. At first, this guy only invites the A-listers, and they had the means to get to the party. They had the health, the wealth, the resources, the horses. They could have got to the party easily. But then he invites the second group, and they needed help getting there. The blind would have needed guides. The crippled would have needed someone to carry them. The poor would have needed resources in order to do the traveling. They needed help. We love to fool ourselves, don't we? Every one of us, me included, we fool ourselves into thinking we're completely self-sufficient, that there's no chinks in the armor. We don't need any help. We have no weaknesses. That's why you never see posts on Facebook like, Here's a picture of me spending the evening alone wondering if I'll ever find love. Okay? You don't see those. Or you don't see, here's a picture of me manipulating my spouse. Here's a picture of me being a jerk to my kids for the third time this week. Okay? You don't see things like that. Because we don't like to show chinks in the armor. But no matter how we portray ourselves in public or on social media, God is on to us. And he knows we all have lame, poor, crippled, blind parts of our own life but that's okay because it's the part of me that knows I need help that readily connects to God. Did you got to catch that. If you didn't catch that I'm going to say it again. The part of you that knows you need help is the part of you that readily connects to God. It's the part of you that will accept the invitation to the banquet and know that you're welcome and wanted there with warts, defects, weaknesses and all. So this parable gives me hope because it says everybody has a place at the party and it doesn't stop there because every part of me also has a place at the party. God loves me just as I am. Ah, so great. And lastly, the word transformation. This parable could actually be summed up with the word transformation. Let me tell you what that has to do with no exception. You see, at the start of the story, this host was just an ordinary guy inviting some friends to a party. But by the end of the story, he was an extraordinary guy that invited a bunch of strangers and people who'd probably never been invited to anything in their whole lives to the party. This amazing transformation and change happened to him. It's still happening. There's a modern-day example of this. I couldn't believe this. I'm, I'm getting ready for this sermon, and I come across this story of a lady named Sarah Cummings, and she lives in Indiana and still lives in Indiana to this day. She was about to get married, and the week before her wedding, she called it off. She didn't give the reasons to the press. It was deeply personal. She called it off. But she'd spent $30,000 on her wedding, okay? So 
she's well-to-do and stupid, <laughs> okay, but that's another thing. No, I'm just teasing. Go ahead and spend all that kind of money on a wedding if you want to. I'd rather spend it on the honeymoon, but that's just me. But she canceled her wedding, and she goes, well, I paid all the, you know, the banquet place. I played, paid the venue. I paid for all the food. I don't want it to waste. So she went out and invited all the homeless in the area to come to this party at this really ritzy banquet hall. And word got out, and people, businesses, donated suits and dresses and the food and rides to the party, and it was filled. She filled the place. And when she was interviewed, she says, I don't consider myself to be a very generous person. Well, she is now. Now she actually volunteers. She's a regular volunteer at one of the homeless shelters. This great transformation happened in her life, just like the host in the parable. She went from not generous to generous, from ordinary to extraordinary. Know this, God is committed to our transformation because he sees not what we are, he sees what we can be, and he's going to get us there. Look again at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we look on the import and the magnificence of God. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is something, I can't totally explain it, but you have to take my word for it. There is something about loving people with no exception, loving everybody all the time, that catapults you in to the transformation that God wants for your life. I don't know how he does it, but he uses our willingness to love all the people around us to bring about godly change, to make us more and more like him every day.